Welcome to the IAB Policy Podcast, where we provide expert commentary and analysis on the legal and regulatory developments impacting the digital advertising industry. My name is Alex Propes, and I'm the Vice President of Public Policy for the IAB, based in Washington, D.C. In today's conversation, I get to sit down with Will Reinhardt, who is the Senior Research Fellow at the Center for Growth and Opportunity at Utah State University, where he focuses on public policy issues relating to emerging technologies and innovation. During our discussion, we'll review Will's work on the subject of data ownership, addressing questions such as, who owns your data when you're online, and what ownership rights should that afford you? We'll also discuss how lawmakers are thinking about this issue, including California Governor Newsom's data dividend proposal, and what this and similar proposals mean for the future of the data-driven advertising industry. I hope you enjoy. Will, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex. It's, uh, it's good to chat with you. So in 2018, you wrote an article entitled The Law and Economics of Owning Your Data yeah. uh, while you were working at the American Action Forum. And mm-hmm. this is really a topic that I wanted to, to take a chance to delve into in more detail since it's been a timely topic over the last few years, uh, even since you wrote this paper. Yeah. We've seen it become a popular slogan for policymakers, uh, including Governor Newsom, yeah. uh, as they're starting to wade in the tech policy debate, and business leaders as they really try to demonstrate their own strong privacy practices. Um, so could you talk a bit about you know what led to this paper, why you were interested in the topic? Yeah, I mean, as you kind of laid out, there has been this conversation and, uh, and you know, in researching it, I actually found that this conversation, this idea of uh, data ownership or data property rights it goes back actually into the 70s. So this idea has existed for quite some time and, and it, it's one proposal among many that at least has been suggested as a way to, you know, as you kind of mentioned, um, to, to both deal with um, privacy concerns, but also deal with what you might consider as like economic equity concerns. So those two things are, are really, as I see it, you know, currently, those are the two major issues that continually pop up again and again. Um, the problem, and I think we're going to get into this here in a little while, is just that as I found a lot of these suggestions just in practicality don't work out very well. So for example, the German government was considering a data property right for connected cars, and they eventually had to get rid of this be primarily because they found it unworkable. And I think that's actually what you see continuously within this space is just, it's an interesting idea, um, data property rights, but but it's, it's very much a, just not a very workable regime. Yeah, I can understand at a, a surface level how it sounds very appealing. It it yeah. does make for an attractive slogan and and um, gives I think consumers a sense of uh, assurance that that their information is protected and they ultimately have control. Yeah. Um, but it's but it you know in practice it sounds like the concept uh, has a lot of unintended consequences beyond just control. Um, and so yeah, looking forward to delving into that in more detail. But when we talk about data ownership or when, when most people refer to data ownership, what, what, what do they mean? So when most people think about data ownership, they really uh, kind of don't go the extra mile and actually describe exactly what it is, that, what they want. And, and that really is kind of the problem that we face here, that, that in fact, data ownership can mean a whole bunch of different things. So in, in some cases, some people look at it as a way of you know, maybe exporting their data. But then that really just becomes kind of a, a, a portability mandate of some sort. In other contexts, sometimes it is the ability to effectively control who can and cannot look at uh, data. And then that kind of becomes what we might consider privacy laws. And so 
when we really are talking about data ownership, it is this really interesting and kind of amorphous question. But when you really get down to it, there are far more directed laws, as I see it, that actually get you to the same place that you would want to go with data ownership. So for example, you might want to have some, you know, as I said, some sort of privacy protection. So why don't you just do privacy protection, right? Or you want mm -hmm. some kind of benefit that goes to the individual for their data. So why don't you just do that instead? Uh, and, and that really is this kind of friction that we're seeing with the, with data ownership proposals is that they really are kind of all over the board. And there really does seem to be kind of a uni uniting factor in that they, um, they want to give the individual some sort of control over their information, but it really kind of stops there, honestly. And you've written uh, numerous times on this topic about how there are, you know, key differences between data and tangible goods or intellectual property, for example. Yes. Can you talk about that a bit more? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, as an economist, we, we especially when we're talking about intellectual property as an economist, we think about this as, as a basically a market failure problem, such that it's easy to produce intellectual goods, but it's really hard to capture the value that, that comes with them. And so the kind of the classic... Uh, the classic example of this is a pharmaceutical uh, drug of some sort, right? It's it's it it costs a lot of money to produce this this uh, idea of a of a pharmaceutical good, and so, but it's super easy to copy it. You know, the just kind of cracking it open and and getting you know the all of the kind of the the uh, you know what actually goes into the pill is usually pretty cheap. Um, sure. and, and just this distinction between the two then creates a problem, which is that it's, that it's really, really easy to, um, replicate this good, this, you know, whatever this good might be, but getting to creating that good is a very expensive sort of project. So this exists in many spaces, you know, this exists in, in pharmaceuticals, this exists in copyright. The, the entire idea is that it's easy to copy, but it's really, really hard to create. However, with data property rights, the idea is really flipped on its head. We're not really trying to incentivize the creation of data. We're, in fact, trying to stop the, uh, the creation of data. And so mm -hmm. at least when, it, when we talk about data ownership as it relates to these other sorts of ideas of intellectual property and, and ownership of intellectual property, what we really mean is is something that is just like I said is completely opposite of it, and and if we're trying to disincentivize the creation, it's not clear to me that property rights are really the way to do it. Considering that property rights are are traditionally understood as a way to incentivize the creation of goods, and you know, in that example you mention, there is you, know, or, uh, you can you can imagine there are ways to estimate the value. Uh, or potential value of a pharmaceutical good or a movie or a song, other sorts of intellectual property that are created yes, um, yes. because because there's a clear you know market for this and people that are looking to uh, consume that and purchase it. In the case of data, I think it's it's likely a little bit harder to assign that value or, or decide on a fair value. Um, you know, yes. What are oh, your yeah. On, on that? Yeah. No, I mean, this the 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 idea that data itself has a value is kind of the other part of this discussion, right? That in, in one side, we're, we're sometimes talking about data ownership in a way to either incentivize or, or disincentivize its creation. Um, I mean, but the other part of this is, well, you know, how might we actually value this object itself? And again, this, this is a really interesting area because, 
you know, Gavin Newsom, as as you kind of suggested earlier, has has thought about trying to create a digital dividend that effectively allows individuals who uh, are engaged in platforms to kind of recapture the value of of their data through, you know, through some sort of tax effectively. Um, the, the problem is, is that that when we even when we start talking about the valuation of data, it, we really don't exactly have a clear articulated agreement about what those values may be. Right. So in, in some cases, when we look at the value of um, of data, you, there's like some, you know, there's some some places we can consider at least go to 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 to, to figure out what what some of the uh, the some of one of the equivalent values may be for. So, for example, mm -hmm. you could go online and, you know, unfortunately, there are sometimes hacked um, Google logins. So how much do Google logins, how much do those actually cost, for example? Well, those are usually pretty cheap, a couple cents at most. So a lot of the stuff that even sells on the dark web for information, um, that seems to be pretty cheap. Uh, so data ownership in, in that sense, or at least valuing data in that sense um, through, say, some sort of like market, you know, even though it's not purely a market to so this kind of, you know, black market. Um, that's one way to kind of try to understand the value of it. But there's a whole bunch of other ways to understand the value of data ownership. And none of them really do all that well in in capturing the value because ultimately value of data itself is is really how much it can go into production processes and how much can it actually make something valuable in itself. And and those sorts of calculations, it's almost like the, the difficulty that we're facing here, even in talking about this, is that data itself is an input. It's not an output. You know, in many other instances, we see as an output, you know, obviously, you know, this is IAB and we, you know, you're obviously very concerned about about advertisement and advertisement placements itself. Mm -hmm. That's the output. You know, that is the that's the end good. That's the end final thing that we that we care about. Data, however, is an input. And because the value of that input can can change pretty dramatically, you know, in some cases, it's hugely important to know, um, you know, some sort of small piece of information. Um, and this is really what we're trying to talk about and, and really the connections here with IP. But at the at the same time, when we talk about data ownership for an individual, it's a very different sort of value calculation, right? So, um, you know, if you're interested, I mean, we can we can talk through this other sort of question, which is, you know, you you there's are ways to do the valuation, right? You can evaluate people's time by how much they they spend online, which is in the trillions of dollars per year. Uh, sure. But again, is that is that really a good value of the the ownership of data? I, I don't really think that's a good that's that's a very good uh, example. Um, advertisements is something else that people say. Well, you know, you just take basically the value of of Facebook and you just divide it by the total amount of users. But again, we that isn't really a good. I don't think that's a good um, understanding of of the value of data because data again is an input that goes into that process. So there is this desire and wish to at least try to value data. But again, when you when you go to markets, there really are no um, data valuation markets as we might think of them that actually can give us um, any good examples of, of of the value that exists here. So yeah, I know that was kind of meandering, but it's like there's there's a lot to be unpacked here. So I'm sorry if I if I uh, got into it all at once. No, no, I think that's you, you raise a lot of really important points and some and raise some good questions. You know, you mentioned the advertising context, which, of course, as you mentioned, we're focused on here at IB. Yes. And so often the value um, is, you know, comes in, you know, the, the how that 
data is aggregated and you know the kind of broader learnings that you can take away uh, from individual data and so the to your point the the individual level data uh, doesn't necessarily contain much if any value it's how it's used it's how it's uh, combined uh, how it's aggregated uh, and the learnings that can be uh, adapted from that that are the real value creation um, um, aspects of the supply chain yeah and so so it, it, it's it's hard to to imagine how you uh, come to a definitive number and you know we're seeing this in practice uh, start to become a question that companies are having to contemplate you don't have to look further than California and the, and the CCPA, which talks about uh, how you must treat consumers the same regardless of you know the privacy preferences that they have uh, selected uh, in this non-discrimination section of the law. Mm-hmm. And uh, as part of that and part of the, the regulations that the attorney general is currently promulgating, uh, there is discussion around how you value that data and how you determine you know what's a, a fair cost to charge a consumer that you know that has opted out of uh, having their data used in certain ways. And and so I think this is a question that companies are currently grappling with. Yeah, no, and to put a really fine point on that, I mean, there are, um, I believe, so yeah, I didn't, I should have, let me say it like this, that there's, you know, there's effectively four different ways to do this sort of valuation. One of them is through the income-based way, which, you know, sometimes is done through, totally just the total amount of users. You know, you have another one, which is the market prices. So that's also something else that I've mentioned in the past. Um, There is another way, which is, again, through the input levels, through the cost-based methods. And that's mostly where a lot of of the market is at this point, primarily because, um, honestly, there's... it matters a lot more about the inputs than necessarily about the outputs, at least in this case. And then sure. finally, sometimes they're they're valued through other methods, which is like I like I mentioned, just people um, the the amount of time they did not spend on these on these goods, or I'm sorry, the amount of time that they ended up spending on on say Facebook or or um, you know on Instagram instead of any other potential place that they would have what they that they would have uh, been. But even with all these valuations, what what still is kind of interesting to me is that again, you you if if any of these things actually truly were easy to create and kind of value, you would you would see a, a pretty robust market, and it would be very clear the assigned values of this data. And yet you don't see that. You know, you you see this in in stocks, you see it in bonds, you see this in a whole bunch. You see this even in future predictions of 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 the president that's a that's a relatively thick market when it comes to data valuation you just don't see that with data valuation so there seems to me that even if um even if the if these things truly were valued you would see you would see this out in the out in the wild and yet you don't right now so it's um it's kind of odd to me that we don't and that's just because that it's not a very you know it's not a very uh commodity driven thing data is actually can be hugely important in some contexts and in other contexts that data doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not for lack of trying. I, no, I, no, I no, no. I've seen, I've seen uh, businesses that have, have, you know, tried to build a market around this idea and, and uh, give consumers this ability to charge um, before, you know, certain types of personal data are used in different ways. Um, and, you know, all interesting concepts, but to your point, it seems like those would be a bit stickier uh, were there a, a really tangible market for this. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
and that's why I think ultimately the stuff that you'll see, especially from, you know, from Newsom and some others in suggesting, you know, data ownership, I just, I don't see that working in practice. I mean, effectively what it just becomes is it becomes a different sort of tax, right? I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the kind of tax that you're, or the data dividend that has been discussed and was discussed earlier last year, um, at least in California, I think really would look like that at the end of the day, it would just be an advertising tax. So if you just want to tax advertising, I mean, I'm not a fan of it, but just <laughs> let's have that discussion instead of this data dividend thing. So I, I don't know. Yep. I, all of this seems to me to be a, a roundabout way of getting, um, uh, it's around, it seems to be a roundabout way of kind of getting other means. And if, if ultimately we, we want to have some sort of other goals in mind, you know, like I mentioned privacy or, or some sort of, um, you know, value that's, that's, that goes back to the consumer, then let's have that conversation instead of this data ownership question. That's a really good point. And, you know, we're facing digital advertising taxes in a number of states now, yeah. um, in part driven by the the budget shortfalls that a lot of state governments are facing. Um, and to your point, we've also dealt with a lot of privacy laws, and that's just an ongoing conversation that we're yes. dealing with at the or local lack state. Federal, yeah, lack of federal <laughs> privacy laws. How about that? Absolutely. Um, but but I, I don't know that I'd thought about this issue in that context, that it's this confluence of, of different um, motivations that leads to this this same outcome and and to to kind of pick apart or, or build a, a good criticism of this idea you need to understand the underlying values behind any particular proposal yeah no very um, much so yeah and it really this is i think that the goals i mean honestly it's i don't know i i don't mind having a conversation and i this has been very um, you know enlightening regardless but oftentimes, you know, as you said, when we start talking about this data ownership question, I think that we really we we do need to kind of look at what the goals actually truly are. And in many ways, you can get the benefits of other other sorts of regulatory structures without necessarily having, you know, all this extra baggage of a of a legal regime of another right that that, you know, attaches itself onto our already complex legal system. But that's just me. Yep. And I, I do think that many of the calls for this this concept of data ownership assume that there are no privacy protections or effective privacy protections in place today, and that the current privacy model is is really ineffective, if not non-existent. Um, so I'd be curious for your thoughts on you know both the effectiveness of the current privacy regime in the U.S. and to what extent you think that's driving this conversation. Yeah, I mean, this is the big can of worms: is how effective is it? Um, you know, I think that it, at right now there is a much larger discussion about enforcement, and that's really what I've been myself concerned about. Is is obviously giving obviously the FTC the tools to be able to enforce the laws that it already has on the books. In some ways, we we don't um, we don't know what a what a privacy regime in that sense would look like because the FTC and and in you know in some regards. Um, uh, the DOJ, obviously, but they're not not as you know not as important in this conversation. But these two agencies really do need to be able to have the staff to to bring the cases. But the FTC is obviously the most important one bringing these cases right now. Um, at the same time, you do you know as you, as we all know, there is California, and and in in some ways, I'm trying to wait to see how California pans out. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me is actually going to be hugely important to see because California is effectively set what the rest of the United States looks like. We already, we've already seen this is that, that, um, 
you know, this is happening with GDPR. There was actually, um, you know, I can add this in the show notes, but there was a really good report that came out recently on GDPR and basically said that, well, even though that you aren't necessarily in the, you know, you don't need to be regulated by GDPR, you still feel the pull of it. So American companies still regulate, you know, got, um, got compliant to GDPR regulation, even though their exposure wasn't particularly great. And, and this is what we're seeing with California and the United States as well. The rest of the United States, in order to be compliant, is going to have to be compliant with California. Um, that I don't know where that leaves us as far as the efficacy of the current privacy regimes, because, you know, you, you effectively have this bifurcation between the federal level, which probably does need more staff and more authority. And, and then, mm-hmm. and in part, you have what's going on in California, which we really don't know how effective it's going to be and if it's actually going to change anything dramatically. And that's also the other part of this that I see as the, the really big crux of the problem. There's one thing to say that, that GDPR gives people more control over their information. In some regards, it does. But for the most part, these regulatory structures don't do all that much. They just stop companies and add huge, huge fines if companies are not compliant. And so the the question I think that we still haven't really particularly answered is regarding privacy is, is one, what do people truly want when it comes to privacy? And two, do these laws that we're currently, um, are the laws that we're currently, you know, pressing for, do those actually, you know, resolve those kind of intertensions that individuals have about their privacy? And I'm not at all convinced that the current regime, even with the CCPA, the GDPR, and the proposed regimes really do that. They don't really solve that ultimate problem. So I I don't know. I don't it's hard for me to, at least in, you know, a relatively short time to 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 it it, it let me say it like this, that it's it who knows how effective this system currently is. Um mm-hmm. there can be reforms, but at the same time, I'm I think that we need to be a little bit a little bit more cognizant of the problems that exist with the current regime as it exists. Yep. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. We at IAB have been strong advocates of of uh, a, a different kind of framework that focuses more on you know the specific harms that consumers regularly and lawmakers regularly identify, um, and and really look at those as opposed to this over reliance on consent, which I think a data ownership model certainly leads to, and even some of the existing privacy laws like GDPR that you highlighted. And like CCPA um, tend to lead to, um, because the outcomes we've seen from those laws, you know, in terms of consumer understanding of how their data is being used, or the trust, or increased trust that they have in platforms or or in online services, um, it yeah, doesn't have that. that yeah. yeah, they they haven't happened. We haven't seen that that impact, and so um, there's a better, more tailored way of doing this, and part of it involves not you know, throwing away the the decades worth of, of privacy law uh, and precedent that we already have in the U.S. that has served a real purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you put it much more eloquently than I could and that I did. But yeah, no, I, I, I'm actually very much in agreement with that, that you need to, again, you need more move more towards a um, uh, protecting consumers with more with bigger, not necessarily bigger, because the fine structure also has its own sorts of problems when we even talk about the FTC. Um, mm-hmm. That's actually something I'm working on right now is a lot on the the fines and really what the most efficient fines should be. Um, but when my preference wouldn't necessarily be the kind of model where you where you look, um, it's not necessarily the model of CCPA and 
and uh, GDPR, but much more enforcement of the current of the current regime and of again giving uh, antitrust authorities the ability to to do their jobs. But as you noted, there's only really I mean there are some things that people seem to really really care about. You know they 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 care about perhaps geolocation data, health data, mm-hmm. but. Other, you know, otherwise, there's a lot of stuff that they they don't care as much about. You know, they don't necessarily care as much about, say, cookie tracking, um, and yet that seems to constantly come up in this conversation. They don't necessarily care as much about, you know, the necessarily the websites that you that you go to, as long as they don't hit those other sorts of elements, right? The the health concerns or or anything that's related to like you know health or kind of geolocation. But otherwise, people don't mind as much, and so. Even separating out those those sorts of data is something that doesn't currently occur very often with uh, with the privacy conversation. But I hope it does more in the future. But again, I'm not I'm um, I actually have a pretty pessimistic view on this. I don't think it's going to get any better. <laughs> that, was, that was going to be my next question. You know, how optimistic are you that that we can you know get to an outcome here in the U.S. that maybe addresses some of these concerns uh, that we've seen elsewhere or with you know state laws? Yeah, I mean, California already exists. California is a very, very, it's a very real piece of legislation. Um, There, there's probably going to be even, it's obviously probably going to go further, you know, there's another set of amendments effectively that will probably go even, you know, further. I know you've been working on them and talking extensively about them. Um, I, at this point, really considering also that, that Washington state had a, um, a privacy bill that effectively has, has died. Um, there are a couple other states. Illinois is one of them that has been considering a, is kind of a similar privacy bill to Washington. Um, New York State has also had something somewhat similar. Uh, but but right now we're effectively looking at state regulation by California. And mm-hmm. and when you're looking at that, you, it, it really the companies have to effectively comply with California. Um, will we see something federally? I, I'm I'm hopeful that we do. But given the current pandemic that we're obviously in, it doesn't seem like Congress is really going to do very much on the privacy front. The privacy framework that was supposed to come out the end of last year still hasn't, I mean, it was supposed to come out this time last year, um, last March, you know, uh, and yet it still hasn't, there's still not a bipartisan bill that it, that really, um, that everyone can agree to. Um, some of your other guests can talk a lot more extensively about the problems in that, but I, I'm not particularly uh, I, I'm not really hopeful that we're going to see anything right now on a federal privacy bill. What I what I think is probably a much more likely solution or at least a much more not a solution, but a much more likely outcome is that we'll see the implications of California. We're now just seeing how it changes things. It will probably be pretty muddled, obviously, by covid and the what is an ensuing economic downturn. Um, but, you know, even California suggested that something like. Three percent of all of its—I'm sorry—two percent of its state domestic product uh, would be um, would go effectively be, would go away because of compliance with CCPA. I mean, it was a costly, costly bill, um, and and really, if that does happen to occur, if we actually do see the real cost of CCPA, you might see something happen with a federal with with a federal movement or a federal act to to kind of solve some of those bigger problems um, that. I don't think is a very, very good outcome, though, that that you would see federal government kind of solving those problems. I also think that the least minimal regulation might not necessarily the the one that we probably want, which is, you know, kind of, in, you know, enhanced enforcement along with clear rules around, you know, what a um, what an informational harm would be and, and kind of other elements that I know you've talked about and I've talked about. Mm-hmm. 
something along those lines. I also am not really um, positive in thinking that it'll occur because you already have California and California is already the baseline. Why, why change from that? So um, strategically, I don't see much shifting from there, but I think that it probably could shift if, if you really see a whole bunch of costs come out of California or, or if you see the internet sector, which has been vibrant and bright, if, if it shifts and, and changes, um, you know, there'll be some very, very serious and hard questions for this for, um, for lawmakers. But, um, given what we're, given where we're at now, I, I don't see much change in a much, I don't have much optimism for a, for a federal privacy bill. Understandable. Yeah. Yep. And I, <laughs> yeah, and on a, yeah. And on a positive note, right? No kidding. No kidding. Yep. No, I, I think you're right that the costs of, of this regulation are often borne out over years and hard to, to identify or tie back to, to one um, piece of, of legislation. And so, well, but, but, I think, but I mean, by very honest, so it, with GDPR though, I mean, it was very, it's been pretty dramatic for GDPR, GDPR and the affected, um, you know, in the affected industries of which mm-hmm. the advertising industry is one of them, you know, the, the advertising industry in Europe, which is much smaller than, it, than, than what exists in the United States, honestly, it decreased by something like 38% over a, over a year period. Now that might bounce back, but, but the, there's very real costs with, with privacy regulation, mostly in compliance and, and this kind of this creation of a, what, you know, some have called a consent monopoly, but in doing that and creating, enforcing everything through consent, the, the costs are astronomical. You know, there was recently a story about a woman having to take down pictures of her grandchildren because her daughter and her had gotten into a fight and the daughter had made a claim under GDPR and she owned, you know, she had own ownership over the, over the pictures. And so the grandmother was forced to take him down. It's that kind of stuff that we're talking about here. I, I just don't, I don't see that's what we're going to see if we have mm-hmm. a much larger, uh, a much larger um, data price, data property rights regime. Honestly, very honestly, this is, this is one of the outcomes of it. But it's and it should be expected because when you start creating these sorts of new um, data rights and rights out of whole cloth, there there are surely going to be problems. And and I think that's that's one of them. And, and you're seeing a lot of this within within Europe as well. So, well, I doubt the data protection authorities anticipated they would be weighing in on family disputes uh, like that. But yeah, but sure are. enough, that's, that's the world we're living in. I know it's absurd, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, our guest today has been Will Reinhardt. Will, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex.